1: Once again tonight we're fighting the clock, so it's straight to our shows. The first belongs to Nick Carter, Master Detective, and the episode entitled "The Red Goose Murders." What's the
2: matter? What is it? It's okay, a for Nick Carter, Master Detective.
3: <laughs> Yes, it's the case of the Red Goose Murder. Another case for that most famous of all manhunters, the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction, Nick Carter, Master Detective.
4: Oh, listen, Patsy, why do you have to come back to the office at this time of night?
5: I just want to be sure that I finished everything before I left, Scubby. With nick away, it sort of leaves the responsibility on my shoulders.
4: Okay, but shake it up, will you? The last show starts at 8.40 and it's 8.20 now. Now,
5: This won't take but a minute, Scubby. I simply want to have everything in order for the morning. That
4: was a good feed we had, wasn't it?
5: Mmm, that salad was out of this
6: world.
4: Oh, doggone it. I knew we should have stayed away from this place.
5: Nick Carter's office. Patsy Bowen speaking. Mr. Carter there? Uh, Not at the moment. Who's calling, please? Art Bradley, manager
6: of the Red Goose. When do you expect Mr.
5: Carter? I can't say exactly. Uh, Can I do something for you? I'm his assistant. Maybe you could help me out. I'll be glad to if I can. Suppose you tell me why you called. It's
6: like this. My girl, Singer, has just died very suddenly. Oh. She was all
5: right a half hour ago, but when I stopped in her room just now, she was slumped on the floor dead. Looks very odd to me. Well, why don't you call the police? I
7: was going to, but the police visiting my nightclub would hurt
5: business. She may not have been killed, so I wondered if Mr. Carter... You see, I met him the other evening at one of his lectures. Oh, I see. I wondered if he wouldn't come over and see what actually happened before I do anything further. If you have any suspicion that her death wasn't natural, Mr. Bradley, you'd better call the police.
6: Yes, I suppose I had that. Uh, who should I call? Can you tell
5: me? Oh, uh, uh, look, Mr. Bradley, leave it to me. I'll take care of it for you. Oh, well, that'll be fine. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.
4: Now what, more trouble?
5: Oh, not for us, Scubby. I have to call Sergeant Matheson. Then it's us for the movie.
4: Oh, swell. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for a minute we were going to miss that, Western. Oh,
5: no, sir. On the side, Sergeant Matheson. Oh, hello, Sergeant. This is Patsy. Oh, hiya, Patsy. What's up? Uh, Art Bradley, manager of the Red Goose on West 7th Street, says his girl singer is dead, and he thinks maybe she didn't die naturally. You better take a look and see what's what. Nick going over? Oh, uh, no. Nick's out of town for a few days. You'll have to solve this alone if you can
6: What do you
4: mean, if I can? (laughs) I solved murder cases before (laughs) you was born. Just because
5: Nick has helped me out once or twice... I apologize, Sergeant. Happy having to you. Bye.
8: Come on, Patsy. We just got time to make it. Right with you, Scubby.
5: Let's see how the movies do it. Just for a change. (laughs)
4: This is just the way you found her, Bradley, huh? Nothing been touched? Nothing, Sergeant. You see, I opened the door to the dressing room to speak to her, and there she lay on the floor. I shut the door again and called Mr. Carter. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's murder, all right. You see this? That mark around her neck, you mean? Yeah, strangled with a fine cord or a wire, maybe. It's murder, sure. Only dead a few minutes, too. Not more than 15 to 20, I'd say how did you happen to come to her dressing room, Bradley? Well, it's payday today, and I brought up the payroll sheet for her to sign. Yeah, I'd given her an envelope downstairs sometime before, but she hadn't signed for it. How much did she make? 150 a week. Hmm, good racket she was in. Made more than I do. Is uh, that her handbag on the dressing table? Yes, I think so. Uh notice it's open. Let's see if she's still got all that dough. Empty, by golly. Not a cent left in it. Hey, that must have been the motive for the killing. Yeah. Robbery. Uh-huh beautiful kid like that killed for a measly 150 bucks. Wait till I get my hands on the guy that did... Yes,
5: you do, Sarge. But, Patsy, what
4: are you doing here? And the demon reporter, Scubby Wilson. Hiya, Maddie. We were almost to the movies when Patsy's feminine curiosity got the better of her. She just couldn't stand the idea of a murder investigation going on without her being here to poke her nose in it. Uh-huh. Well, Patsy, now that you've poked your nose in, you can just poke it right out again. I don't need no help from you.
5: What? Sergeant, I wasn't trying to help. I was just interested. Mm. Uh, is that was she killed, Sergeant?
4: Yeah, strangled with a cord or a piece of wire. Oh. 150 bucks stolen out of her handbag. And no more questions, see? Yes,
5: Sergeant. But please, may I just watch?
4: Okay, okay. Just don't bother me. I won't. Uh, Bradley, how many rooms on this floor? There are three rooms on the second floor, Sergeant. My office, this dressing room, and the dark room. All on this side of the building. Dark room. What's that for? That's where the girl who takes the flashlights of customers in the club develops the pictures she takes. Oh. As soon as she gets three or four snaps, she comes up and makes prints for the customers to buy. Then she could have been in and out of this room any time. Yes. Yes, she could. I want to talk to her. Sure, sure. Hey, if all three rooms are on this side, they must all look out onto that roof next door. Yes, they do. The adjoining building is a one-story flat roof to pair, same length as this one, is Uh-huh. It? Windows always kept open, Ollie? Oh, on hot nights like this, yes. Do you ever see anyone on that roof? Uh, from this club, I mean. No, I don't ever remember any of our people ever going out there. There's no reason why they... Oh, oh, uh, Marie. Just a minute. Yes, Mr. Bradley? Uh, Sergeant, this is Marie, the girl who takes the pictures. You oh. said you wanted to talk to her. Yeah, uh, I do. Uh, Marie, uh, when did you see this girl? This... Uh... Paula!
5: What's happened to her? Is
4: she... Yes, Marie. She's dead. Yes been killed.
5: Oh, Paul. Paul.
4: When did you see her last?
5: It was just after her first show, maybe half an hour ago.
4: Was she all right when you
5: saw her? Oh, yes. She she was as happy as anything. She came upstairs just as I finished printing my last batch of photos. I asked her for an autographed picture of herself, and she said that if I'd take one, she'd autograph it for
4: me. You took one, did you?
5: Yes, I snapped it right then.
4: You developed it yet?
5: No, I was just going to now.
4: Uh Uh-huh. Well, let me see it as soon as you get it done. Might get some ideas from it.
5: I'll have to call you in ten minutes, office. And may I watch you, Marie? I used to take pictures when I was a kid. Uh, I'm Patsy Bowen, Sergeant Matheson's assistant.
4: Yeah, my assistant, my pain in the neck.
5: Call us, Mr. Bowen. I'm glad to have you. Did you ever develop your picture? You oh, no, I, I do
4: that. Ah, eh, women. They give me a pain. Uh, Mr. Bradley, how many employees do you have here in the Red Goose? Why, there are twelve in the kitchen crew, seven in the orchestra... Five front men in the lobby and inside. check girl, flower girl, and Marie. I want to talk to them. All of them. Get them up here. Look, Sergeant, couldn't we sort of take it easy, just talk to them one at a time, kind of private-like? I don't want to upset the whole club. Give a club a bad name, you know. Oh, don't give it another thought, Mr. Bradley. Sergeant Matheson is the soul of discretion and the epitome of integrity. Hey, are you calling me names again? Oh, not at all, Maddie. They were compliments.
7: If you only knew it.
4: Well, pipe down, will you? Okay, Bradley, I'll take it easy, but I want to talk to every one of them. Alone or together, I don't care. Now, come on, let's get started. Hey, Sergeant. I yeah? got some news for you. Yeah? What is it, Scubby? Your homicide squad is all through. Just left. Oh, some news. That helps a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, you finished your checkup? Yeah, Yeah, we've accounted for all but two waiters and one of the front men. And all three of them have been with me for years. They can't be mixed up in this. Who says they can't? Anybody could be mixed up in it. But we'll let them go for now. I want to ask that Marie a few questions. She's the one nobody can check up on. Let's go back up and see what she's got to say for herself. If you don't mind, Sergeant, I'll stay down here. You two go right ahead. Ask her anything. Alright, come on, Scummy. Right with you, Maddie, old boy. Mr. Bradley says she only makes 35 bucks a week. What she can get out of the customers. She could have needed that money. Oh, she seems like a nice kid, Maddie. I don't think she can be You up. too? When will you guys learn that appearances don't mean a thing? Oh, there
5: hmm. you are. Oh she has been waiting to show you the picture she took of Paula. Here it is,
4: officer.
5: Yeah. Just think, she'll never autograph it for me now.
4: Uh, Looks
5: happy enough. And look at this one, Sergeant. What? That's the picture Marie took while Paula was singing her last number. See her in the background?
4: Yeah.
5: And see whose picture it is.
4: Hey, that's Alworth Van Keppel, the millionaire playboy. Uh Uh-huh. Does he come here often?
5: Oh, about once a month and always with a different girl. Blonde this time. He always gets his picture taken, too, and he's always good for a swell tip.
4: Marie, suppose you and me have a little talk. No. Yeah.
5: Oh, I have to go down and deliver these pictures before the customers leave.
4: Okay, but make it snappy. Mm. Uh, I'll go with you, just in case.
6: In case of what?
5: Just in case. Wasn't Marie nice, Cubby? She made me extra copies of her last batch of pictures for my scrapbook.
4: Patsy, uh, let me see that picture of Ann Keppel again.
5: Sure, Cubby. It's a good one, isn't it? hmm Patsy,
4: how many men do you see in the orchestra of this picture?
5: Huh? Oh, gee, Scubby, they're so far in the background, it's hard to tell. Well, look closely. Mm -hmm. Five, six. Six, why?
4: Well, Bradley told us there were seven men in the band. The picture shows only six.
5: Huh?
4: I wonder where the other one was. Uh,
5: How are you folks making out? Find anything yet? Oh, Mr. Bradley, you said there were seven men in the band. Yes. Well, this picture taken during the first show tonight shows only six. That's
4: So, let's see. Yes, the guitar player, Steve Dawson, isn't there. See, that's funny.
5: Any idea why he wasn't there when this picture was snapped?
4: No, no, I know he was there when the show started, and he's there now. I saw him as I came up.
5: I don't understand this. Huh? do
4: you
5: suppose he could have... Oh,
4: Bradley, oh. Uh, Marie tells me this was Paula's last night here. She was going to work for another club beginning tomorrow night. Mm, yes, is yes, that's true? Well, how come you didn't tell me about that before? Well, I guess it just slipped my mind, Sergeant... Why was she leaving? Well, she got a better job. More money than I could pay her.
5: That's all. Sergeant, while Paula was singing her last number, the guitar player was missing from the band. You suppose he could have come up here and and done this?
4: A guitar player, huh? Hey, Bradley, do these musicians have a dressing room here anywhere? Yes, yes, they do, on the third floor. They keep their stuff in lockers up there. How much longer are they going to be playing? You see, it's 9.10 now. They break at 9.30. Uh-huh, so we got 20 minutes. Let's have a look at this guitar player's locker. Maybe he knows something about this. Uh, which one is this uh, Steve's locker? It's the third one from the left. Got his name on it. Good. Oh, not locked. That helps. Huh? Nothing in this old jacket. Just the racing form. Hey, what's that written on it? Huh? Oh, Central... Eight, seven, four, oh, Mike. That's probably his bookmaker. Yeah, probably. These boys play the horses pretty heavily, I understand. Oh, yeah? Then this Steve could need money, maybe, if the nags weren't running for it.
5: Anything else there, Sergeant?
4: No, Patsy, only this old guitar case. Oh, mm, and that's empty.
5: Gosh, they use nice velvet for the lining, don't they?
4: Well, maybe it was nice once, but it's pretty well shot now, Patsy. Oh,
5: yes. Look at this big tear in it. It's oh, Sergeant, look at this. What? Money. Hidden in the line. Right. Seven-twenties and a ten.
4: Say, that's what I paid Paula tonight. What? So Steve took it. But but why did he have to kill her to get it? He could have got it without that.
5: We don't know that he did kill her, Mr. Bradley. The guy that
4: got the money is the guy that did the killing, according to my book. Hey, Bradley, get Steve Dawson up here. We'll see if he can get out of this. Certainly, Sergeant. I'll have him meet you in Paula's room right after the band breaks for intermission. And you can bet I'll keep my eye on him until then. Uh, Mr. Bradley,
5: do you have a phone we could use?
4: Yes, of course. There's one in my office. The room right next to Paula.
5: Thanks. Come with me, Scubby. I've got a job for you.
8: Anywhere with you, beautiful. Just
7: lead
5: the way. <laughs>
4: You say you want me to call this number we found on Steve's racing form? Right, Scotty. And ask for Mike. Oh, well, do you want me to ask him anything special?
5: Oh, no, just say it's Steve Dawson calling. Yeah. Then stall around and see if maybe he won't let something slip about Steve's finances.
4: Okay, what can we lose? Here goes. Hey, right. Phil. Oh, I wish I knew what this Steve's voice sounds like. You
5: know, just talk a little husky. As if it were a bad connection. Mike will never know the difference. I hope. The purple
4: pig. Good evening. Well, hello. Is Mike there? This is Mike. Who's talking? Steve Dawson. Oh yeah, Dawson.
6: You got the money ready
4: for me? Well, I've got part of it. Part
6: of it. Hey, listen. You know what I told you? You have it all when I call for it tonight, or else the whole three hundred bucks you borrowed and the hundred dollars interest for the two weeks you had it.
4: Well, isn't there some way I can let you have part of it now and the rest? Just little...
6: Dawson, Dawson.
4: 400 smackers in a bunch by 1 o'clock
5: tonight for trouble. And I mean trouble. Okay, Mike.
4: Goodbye. So Steve did need money. He sure did. $400 by 1 o'clock tonight and no fooling around either. So
5: Steve might have needed that money so bad he'd be willing to kill Paul to get it. Well,
4: it sure looks that way from where I Mm. sit.
5: I wonder if... Cubby, what's that on the floor over under the window?
4: Huh? Oh like tar. Tar? Yeah, tar off somebody's heel. Maybe somebody was out on the roof and got some on a shoe.
5: Mr. Bradley said nobody ever went out there. But look here. Here's a smudge on the windowsill too, Scubby. Do you suppose... Have you got a
4: flashlight, Patrick? Yeah,
5: my, my. ones oh, here in my bag. It's I quiet. think
4: I'll have a look at the roof outside this window. <clears throat> there might be footprints or
5: something. If you're going out there, I am too. Give me a hand. Okay, beautiful. Here. Easy, now. There, there you are. Hey, tar on this roof is soft, isn't it?
4: Yeah, tar roofs generally get that way on warm days. No, I don't see any prints here anyway. Uh -uh. Well, that doesn't prove anything, of course. Soft tar wouldn't hold prints very well.
5: Uh, Scrubby, this fireplace must fire escape. Oh, I'm getting all mixed up. Must be the one that goes up to the musician's locker room.
4: Well, it probably is. I remember seeing one when we were up there before.
5: Uh, is Paula's body still in her room?
4: No, they took it away after the Homicide Boys finished their investigation.
5: I'm glad of that. I don't... What's the matter? I tripped over something. Caught my toe in it.
4: Well, there's nothing here, Patsy.
5: Oh, wait. Huh?
4: Here's an old guitar string. Maybe you tripped on that.
5: An old guitar string? And Steve plays the guitar. Funny, isn't it?
4: How do you mean funny?
5: The sergeant says Paula was choked with a cord or a piece of wire.
4: Of course. And finding this guitar string here is no coincidence at all, at all.
5: I wonder.
4: What do you mean, I wonder?
5: Oh, I don't know, Scubby, but that's what Nick always says when he's not sure of something.
4: Oh, his master's voice, huh?
5: Oh, something like that. Uh I'm just trying to think the way Nick would do it if he were here. Oh, I wish he were here, too.
4: Oh, I don't know. It looks pretty open and shut to me.
5: I know it does, but that's always a time Nick says to... Scubby. It's one of the musicians just coming into Paula's room.
7: That must be Steve
4: Dawson. Yeah,
5: come on. I want to hear what he has to say. You want
7: me, Sergeant? Yeah, come
4: on in. Have a
5: chair. Uh, mind if we join you, Sergeant?
4: Well, the love of Pete, what are you two doing out there on the roof? All oh, just looking at the stars, that's all. Do you mind if we come in? I don't mind what you do so long as you don't get my way.
5: Thanks. Help me up, Scubby. Right
4: here you are. Oh, easy. Watch the sill.
5: Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Scubby. Won't
4: you come in too, Mr. Wilson? Oh, delightfully. So kind of you to offer. Will you two ever stop clowning? This is a murder case. Murder? What have I got to do with a murder? Everything, if I ain't mistaken, Dawson. Where were you at about eight o'clock tonight? Eight o'clock? Yeah. Playing with the band, same as always. That's so. Patsy, where's that picture you had?
5: Here it is, Sergeant.
4: Thanks. Now then, Steve, show me which one in this picture is you. Why, uh, I don't seem to be there. Uh, when was this taken? During Paula's last number in the first show tonight. Now, where were you? Oh, yeah, I I remember now. I I was late coming in.
5: Mr. Bradley said you were there when the show opened. Huh?
4: Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I had to step out for a minute. You need money pretty bad, don't you? Money? Yeah. No, I just got paid tonight. I got plenty. You didn't get paid enough to repay the loan Mike made you. Three hundred bucks plus a hundred interest. Hey, what's that? Where did you find that out?
5: Mike told us.
4: Mike. What do you know about Mike?
5: And he's calling for you at one o'clock tonight, isn't he?
4: I don't know what you're talking about. No? Then why did you kill Paula Windsor tonight and then swipe $150 from her purse? And don't try to lie out of it. We found the money in that old guitar case in your locker. I
5: didn't kill her. I swear it. Sergeant, we found this on the roof just outside the window.
4: What's that? String for a fiddle or something. So what? Could be a guitar string, Maddie. What? That settles it, Dawson. You saw Bradley give Paula her salary earlier tonight, so you sneaked off the bandstand during her last number, came up to her room, and tried to sneak her purse. She caught you, and you killed her. No, I didn't kill her. I didn't. You strangled her with a guitar string you happened to have in your pocket and threw it out the window. I didn't kill her. She wasn't even in the room when I took the money. Oh, so you admit you stole the money. Yeah. Yes, I stole it, but I didn't kill her. She was just finishing her song when... When I got back downstairs, no good, Dawson. If you can make a jury believe that, you're a better man than I think you are. But I tell you, I didn't kill. Look here, Scott. I the
5: money. Here's a slip of paper on her dressing table with that same number on it that we just called C E eight seven four zero. Wonder what she was doing with that?
4: Playing the horses, maybe.
5: I doubt it, Sergeant. May I ask, Mister Dawson, a question?
4: Oh, you again? All right, ask it. Let me get out of here, uh,
5: Mister Dawson. What did you and Paula have in common about the purple pig?
4: Nothing. Mike is a the manager there, and he's my bookie. Paula was supposed to start singing there tomorrow night. Mike met her here when when he came over once to see me and gave her a job.
5: That's all. So that's where she was going.
4: Yeah. Bradley was all burned up about it, but Mike offered her more than Bradley did, so she gave notice. Come on, Dawson. You and I you and I have a date at headquarters. Look, Sergeant. I'm I... booking you for robbery and possible murder. Now hold out your hand. I got a bracelet for it. But I tell you, I, I just you don't... tell me don't count. <clears throat> Ah, uh, so long, Miss Patsy Carter. If you pick up anything I missed, uh, give me a ring. I'm always happy to hear from you.
5: Why, thank you, Sergeant. Well, oh, Scuddy, what do you think?
4: I think if I killed a girl with a guitar string, I'd never throw it out the window where it would be found first thing.
5: Well, that's the way I feel. And it seems to me that if Paula did catch Steve Dawson stealing her money, he wouldn't be likely to go fishing around in his pocket to see if he had an old guitar string he could kill her with.
4: Gosh, you're right, Patsy. He'd more likely strangle her with his bare hands.
5: You know, Scuppy, I think the murder had nothing to do with the robbery. I think whoever killed Paula did it deliberately and used the guitar string to throw suspicion on Steve Dawson.
4: Which would account for his leaving it right outside where it would be sure to be found. uh
5: And I noticed another thing too, Scubby, that makes me think Dawson didn't kill her. It's not proof, but it's something to think about.
9: Yeah, what's that?
5: Well, well, when I saw Paula's body, I noticed that she had unzipped her dress as if she were going to take it off. Uh And her shoes were off and one of her stockings was unfastened. Which means she'd been in her room long enough to start changing her costume.
4: Good girl. And if she'd been leaning over and fastening her stockings, the killer could have crept up behind her without being
5: seen. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking. Oh, poor kid. Just look at this picture of the Marie took tonight. She's laughing and looks as if she didn't have... Copy. Hey. Huh? Look at this picture. Look at the mirror.
4: Hey, there's the figure of a man reflected in the mirror. Huh. From the angle at which the picture was taken, he must have been standing on the roof just outside her window. Well,
5: he probably thought he couldn't be seen, but the camera caught him in the mirror. isn't plain enough to make out who it is.
4: No, the picture doesn't show him very plainly. But it's definitely a man in a black coat, and the musicians wear white. So it's not the guitar player.
5: Scubby, this man has a flower in his buttonhole. It's the right buttonhole instead of the left, the way most men wear them.
4: Hey, let's ask Bradley. Maybe he'll be able to recognize who it is.
5: Right, Scubby, come on. We'll show Sergeant Matheson, yes? (laughs) i to show you. Can we go somewhere where it won't be so noisy? Yes, yes.
4: Suppose you go right in here. <laughs> With the door closed, you can at least hear yourself think. Ah,
5: yes, this is best.
4: Now, what have you found that would interest me?
5: And Mr. Bradley, this picture was taken this evening in Paula's room right after the first show.
4: Oh, yes. I remember Marie saying that she took one.
5: If you look in the mirror, you can see the reflection of a man standing outside her window on the roof. What?
4: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I see. It's a pretty pity it isn't a better picture of him so he could recognize who it is.
5: Mr. Bradley, have you ever been out on the roof outside your office? What? No,
4: I never go out there.
5: Then how do you suppose the spot of roof tar got on the rug in your office?
4: I wouldn't have the It probably a... came off your shoe, Mr. Bradley. I see there's still some tar on the heel. But I didn't... You're a right heel. Say, hey, look here.
5: Are you implying that I killed Paula? I am. I didn't realize it until I saw you again just now. But you wear your flower in your right lapel. Practically no one does that. You're a pair of idiots.
4: Why should I kill Paula? I had no motive to do a thing like that. I
5: don't understand about the motive part either, Mr. Bradley, but I'm sure you killed her.
4: Now, see here. Just because I happened to be standing outside Paula's window when Marie snapped that picture doesn't prove that I killed her. Just went out for some air and then went back to my
5: office. She
4: was alive the last time I saw her.
5: You've forgotten one thing, Mr. Bradley. Your fingerprints around on the guitar string you strangled her with.
4: All right, so I killed her. What are you two going to do about it? I'll have you two taken care of so fast. Sit you won't down,
5: even... Mr. Bradley. You can't scare me with that little pop
4: gun. So don't kid yourself, Mr. Bradley. Patsy knows how to use that gun, and she will if she has to. And a twenty-two makes just as good a hole in a man's heart as a forty-five does if it's
8: aimed right the way Patsy aims.
5: Thank you, Scotty. Now will you sit down, Mr. Bradley? Thanks. Now, Scabby, if you'll call Sergeant Mavison, he can put both the robber and the killer in the same
10: cell. <laughs>
4: You mean you're going to be at that typewriter for another hour, yes?
5: I'm sorry, Scubby, but I have to have a full report ready for Nick when he comes back. Uh, and I want to get it down in black and white while it's still fresh in my mind. Okay, okay, I
4: quit. I'm going home. I'll see you again sometime, I hope. So.
5: Why, I hope so, Scubby. Give me a ring sometime when you're free.
4: Oh, darn you, Patsy Bone! If I wasn't in love with you, I'd ring your neck.
5: <laughs> oh, good night, Scubby dear.
6: Good night. <laughs>
5: Poor Scotty. Ah, let's see. Where was that? Oh, (laughs) yes. Nick Carter's office, Patsy Bowen speaking. This is Maddie, Patsy. Oh.
4: I just wanted to tell you, Bradley made a full confession. He did? Yeah.
5: Oh, that's good. I'll put that in my report, too. Oh, what'd he say?
4: He said he planned to kill Paula tonight, so he waited on the roof outside her window for her to come back from the floor show. Uh Uh-huh. It was while he was standing out there that he saw Steve Dawson swipe the money out of her purse. Well, that gave him the idea that he could have a perfect alibi by making Steve the goat for the killing as well as the robbery. (laughs) So he went up the fire escape to the musician's room, found an old guitar string Steve had thrown out, and got
11: back outside Paula's window just in time to see Marie snap her picture. I
6: see.
4: And then, while she was changing her clothes, He crept up behind her and strangled her, and threw the guitar string out on the roof where it'd be found by the police.
5: Or by someone else. Uh,
4: yeah,
5: yeah. (laughs) Uh, Did he say what his motive was? Yeah.
4: He loved Paula, but she turned him down cold. Uh He discovered this. He gave her her first Uh job. He felt she owed him something, but she told him to his face that he had done nothing for her, and that she was leaving him for a better job with a better man. Uh Well, that made him so mad Back from the fact that he really loved her desperately That he decided if he couldn't have her Nobody else was going
5: to Oh, the poor guy Love is an awful thing sometimes Yeah Especially if it's not returned
4: Yeah, but look, Patsy yeah. There's one thing I don't understand You said you told him his fingerprints were on the guitar string Now, what was the
5: idea of that? Well, Nick always has something to clinch the case with so I happened to think of that.
4: But you want to know a guitar string wouldn't take any fingerprints. Well,
5: sure, Sergeant, I knew it. But Mr. Bradley didn't.
3: Well, Patsy, in the absence of Meg, I suppose I'll have to get my hints on next week's show from you. How about it?
5: I sure can do, Carl. The case started when both Vince O'Neill and Otto Lerner found they were married to the same girl.
3: Hmm. What did Nick do about that?
5: Well, he started out to find the girl and straighten things out, if he could.
3: And he found her, I suppose, knowing Nick.
5: Oh, yes, he did. But when he located her finally, she could no longer give him any information. She'd been using a new jar of cold cream and taking a bath. Well, what did that
3: have to do with it?
5: Why, everything. That and the fight on the train.
3: Yeah. All right, all right. What's <laughs> the name of the story?
5: We call it The Case of the Extra Husband.
3: Nick Carter, Master Detective, which is produced and directed by Jock McGregor, is copyrighted by Street & Smith Publications, Incorporated. Pictured stories of Nick Carter appear in every issue of the Shadow Comics. In the broadcasts of Nick Carter, Master Detective, Lon Clark is starred as Nick, Charlotte Manson is featured as Patsy, Maddie is played by Ed Latimer, Scubby by John Kane, Original music is played by George Wright, Script is by Jock McGregor. Any resemblance in these programs to actual persons, living or dead, or to actual places is purely coincidental. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is presented over most of these mutual stations each week at the same time. This is Carl Crusoe saying, so long until next week. Auctions are exciting, but we've never heard of a public auction where the bidding went up, up, up to murder. There's your promise of thrilling mystery entertainment again tomorrow night over these mutual stations on Bulldog Drummond's case called Upholstered for Murder. That's Bulldog Drummond, Mondays on Mutual. (laughs) This program was heard in Canada through the facilities of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. (laughs)
1: Stay tuned for Burns and Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen and the episode entitled Marriage Contract.
6: It's
7: Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. For deep-down laughs and listening enjoyment, it's George and Gracie. And for deep-down coffee-drinking enjoyment, it's Maxwell House. With extra flavor in the blend because of choice Latin American coffees skillfully combined. Extra flavor in the cup because radiant roast develops the full flavor of every coffee bean. And the result is that today more people buy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. You know, folks, the George Burns's are so happily married that a newspaper has chosen them for the finals in its search to pick Hollywood's happiest Mr. and Mrs. We find Gracie now talking to a woman from the newspaper.
2: And so, Mrs. Burns, our search for Hollywood's ideal husband and wife has narrowed down to
11: you and one other couple. Well, this is a wonderful surprise, Miss Effinger. But really, George and I aren't so much. We're just plain, ordinary, everyday, delightful people. <laughs> Well, Mrs. Burns, since you're so happily married,
2: perhaps you have some advice to pass along to young girls in the matter of choosing the right husband.
11: Yes, I have. When I was very young, I made up my mind that I would find the perfect man. Man with personality, looks, brain, talent, and charm. I searched for three years before I finally married George Burns. (laughs) Then your advice to young girls would be? Do just what I did. Give up the hopeless search and marry the man you (laughs) And uh, what is your recipe for staying happily married? Well, personally, I try to observe the mistakes that other wives make and avoid making those mistakes myself. What kind of mistakes? Oh, now, for example, I've seen women ask their husbands for $10 to pay an installment on the radio and then take that money and buy a hat with it. How true. Well, if my husband gives me $10 to pay a radio installment, I pay the radio installment. If I need a hat, I use the rent money. I see. I can get a much better hat that way. I understand how using the
2: rent money gets you a better hat. But does that make your husband happy? Oh, yes. He loves to move. (laughs) Burns, isn't it difficult to maintain a career and a home at the same time? I mean, isn't it drudgery to come home from the studio and have to cook dinner?
11: Miss Essinger, if you were cooking for the one you love, would you call it (laughs) drudgery? No, I guess I wouldn't. Well, neither does George. (laughs) You mean... Your husband does the cooking? Oh, now, please don't get the idea that George cooks all the meals. He doesn't. Oh, I see. Twice a week, we eat out. (laughs) I must confess that your
2: methods for maintaining a happy marriage are a little unorthodox. However, if you can prove to me that you and your husband are happier than the Galens, you'll win the contest. The Galens? They're the other couple in the finals. I'm on my way to observe their home life now.
11: At one o'clock, I shall return to observe you and Mr. Burns. Well, I'm sure you'll find us the happiest couple in Hollywood. Why, well, the minute we w- wake up in the morning, we have a good, hearty laugh. What do you laugh mm-hmm. about? Oh, I laugh at my husband's long, woolly underwear. <laughs> Why does he laugh? Well, oh, it tickles him, too.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, goodbye, Mrs. Burns. I
6: shall
11: see you at one. Goodbye, Miss Etinger. Oh, George, George! Oh, wait a minute. i better not tell George about this. If he knows the woman is watching us, he'll be self-conscious and won't crack a smile. Oh, Did you what? call me, dear? Oh, well, yes, darling. Um, dear, would you say that we're happily married?
8: Of course we are. We've been happily married for 11 years.
11: Oh, 11 years. It's pretty good for this town, isn't it?
8: <laughs> you bet.
11: Remember when we'd been married two days, they called us the grand old couple of Hollywood. (laughs) That's right. Our marriage has been successful because we realize that married people have to give up certain things. Remember how I asked you to give up betting on the races? Yeah, and I gave it up. You certainly did. And remember how you asked me to stop buying so many hats? Yep. You gave that up, too. (laughs) I
8: certainly did.
11: Yes, I. you're a wonderful husband, George. I was lucky to get you. In fact, I I guess I'm one person who was lucky at cards and lucky in love, too. Really? Yes. Whether it was poker or marriage, I got the pot. (laughs) Thanks, kid. Oh, 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 I didn't mean that the way it sounded. I meant that you're a prize, not that you have a pot. I see. I love you, darling, and I'd love you just as much if you didn't have one. (laughs)
8: <laughs> Thanks again
11: Do you, uh, do you love me as much as I love you?
8: Of course I do
11: Well, I'd like to hear you say, darling, I love you Okay, darling,
8: oh, well, I... would
6: I...
11: like to hear those things, you know All right, <laughs> you darling, You can't I... just take them for granted <laughs> Okay I now... want to hear you say that you love. <laughs> like... <laughs> darling, Just for a little way. Darling. That means so much to us <laughs>
6: Darling. Yes, a
8: Gracie. Yes. Darling, I love you.
11: Oh, uh, now you see that wasn't hard, was it? <laughs> Say it
8: again. Darling.
9: like
11: oh, I see those things, <laughs> I'll try it again tomorrow. Yes.
9: Oh, good morning,
11: folks. Oh, good morning, Meredith. Meredith, do you realize that George and I have been happily married for 11 years now? 11 years? Mm-hmm. Gosh, have you been married that long, Gracie? Yes, I have, Meredith. 11 years. Half my life. <laughs>
8: Gracie, you were not 11 when you married me. If you, if you were under 18, you would have needed your mother's consent. And believe me, that we didn't have. <laughs> Did your mother dislike
9: George,
11: Gracie? Well, I wouldn't say she disliked him. I'd say she sort of despised him.
8: <laughs> feeling was mutual.
11: <laughs> you, you know that place in the wedding ceremony where the man says, if anyone can show cause why these two should not be married, let him speak now? Yes. Well, Mama got up and filibustered.
9: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
8: yeah, but we've been very, very happy, Meredith. Why don't you get married? Me?
9: <laughs> Oh, I guess I will someday, if the right girl ever proposes to me. <laughs> it's up to you to do the proposing. Uh, haven't you ever been in love? Oh, yes, George. I had quite a case on a girl once. She played the harp in my orchestra. Fine musician. You liked her, huh? Very much.
8: Her cadenzas were remarkable.
6: <laughs>
8: well, I guess there's nothing like a girl with remarkable cadenzas.
6: Well, well that's one that
8: you? sings baritone.
11: <laughs> Hmm? What happened with you and this girl?
9: Well, we used to get in my coupé and drive up on Lookout Mountain. And, well, if I may use an overworked expression, we made beautiful music together.
11: Oh? Well, why did you break
6: up?
9: It just got to be too much work getting that harp in and out of the (laughs) coupé.
8: What if you're a ball of fire? Look, why didn't you drive up on Lookout Mountain without the harp? That was all she could
11: play. (laughs) You really should find the girl and propose. To show you how wonderful married life is, look at George and me. Eleven years without a single quarrel.
8: Well, we had one little quarrel once in the mountains. Eh?
11: No, I don't believe we've never quarreled here.
8: Well, I think we have, darling. quarrel. No, tiny precious, we
11: haven't. But <laughs> well, I remember it was you George, singing. we have never quarreled.
8: <laughs> <laughs> but I remember you fussing at me. I have about
11: never you. raised my voice to you, but never. Well, answer me, have I? Well, well, don't you dare talk back to me!
8: <laughs> talk back to you if I want oh, to. Oh no, you won't.
11: Now apologize.
8: All right, I apologize.
11: <laughs> and then I was right.
8: You are right. You were right. Oh,
11: Nancy Meredith, I was right. Eleven years without a single, single quarrel. quarrel.
7: That's, that's remarkable. Uh, come in. Hi, Burnses. Well, hello, Meredith. Hi, Bill. Hi. What's well, new? Congratulations are in order,
11: Bill. George and I have stayed happily married in Hollywood for 11 years.
7: Well, congratulations, Gracie. 11 years. Mm -hmm. Gracie, let me look at you. You know, it just doesn't seem possible that you've been married that long. George, let me look at you. (laughs) Only 11 years,
6: huh?
8: Never mind, comedian. You're another guy who ought to be thinking seriously of marriage. Who, me? Yeah, he's right,
11: Bill. You and Meredith should get married.
7: Think we'd be happy?
8: <laughs> you know what she meant. Get yourselves wives. Marriage is a healthy, happy, happy state of living. <laughs> 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 it's
11: <laughs> really hippie, yeah. has to be happy.
6: <laughs> yeah.
11: Now, suppose <laughs> Anthony never married Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Suppose Romeo had never married Juliet. They didn't. Uh, you see, and they're all dead. <laughs> 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 Gracie,
7: you're wasting your time. Marriage just doesn't appeal to oh, me.
11: But then you're so popular. Well, you could marry dozens of girls.
7: Really? Dozens? It's beginning to appeal to me. <laughs>
8: Take
11: it from me,
7: Bill. You'll find one wife makes plenty to support. Well, I guess you're right, George. One wife certainly makes plenty to support you.
6: <laughs> I'm going
7: in the den and read the paper. See you later, comic. <laughs> okay, straight man.
11: Oh, Bill. Now you've upset him. If he isn't happy by one o'clock, we'll lose the contest. What contest? Well, George doesn't know it, but we're in the finals of Hollywood's happy marriage contest.
7: Oh, gee, I'm sorry, Gracie. I didn't know.
11: Well, I've just got to get him in a gay mood by one o'clock. Oh, I know. I'll go in and entertain him. Excuse me, Bill. George. What? Want to see a card trick? No. (laughs) Well, watch my hands very carefully. Now. Now you see the ace of spades. Now you don't. Now the ace of spades. Now you don't. Now you see the ace of spades. Wait a minute. Now you do Wait a minute.
8: Wait a, hold on. I never did see the ace of spades.
11: <laughs> oh. Well, I haven't learned how to do it with a card yet. <laughs> this is great.
8: This is great Wasn't
11: well, that an amusing trick?
8: Are you happy? No, I'm not happy.
11: Oh. Well, here's a joke I heard on the bus yesterday. A man came home and found his wife sitting in the bathtub with no water in it. So he said, "Honey, there's no water in the tub," and she said, "I know it."
6: <laughs>
8: That's the joke you heard on the bus. Uh huh. That's the whole joke.
11: Yeah, well, George, you're not laughing.
8: Is that the entire
11: joke? Well, there must have been more, but I had to get off at third. And come up.
6: <laughs>
8: Gracie,
11: are you happy? No, I'm not happy. Oh, Joe, you're, you're very difficult. I'll I'll
6: try another trick.
11: Think of a Oh, car. No, no, no. It's,
7: it's Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. I heard you rehearse that tune you're playing. I thought what a lot of pleasure is found to give many people. Well, Bill, on the Oregon Trail is not only pleasant listening, but it must
9: recall for a great many families, legends and stories of an important part of our early American
7: scene. Yes, for tales have been passed from generation to generation about how the ox teams plodded through that country of scenic wonder. As you know, you can follow that trail today. If you do, you'll touch places that bear wonderful names. Listen to some of them. Independence Rock, Devil's Gate, Sweetwater River, Wind River Mountains, the Valley of the Bear. Names significant to our American scene. And I can't help thinking, too, that in so many homes today, there's another name that's become a part of our American way of life. Maxwell House, a coffee of true distinction. For in this nation of coffee lovers, Maxwell House is bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand. You see, Maxwell House experts skillfully blend these choice Latin American coffees. Manizales for mellowness. Medellins for richness. Other choice Latin American coffees for vigor. Bucaramanga's for full body. The result is coffee so full-flavored and richly delicious that north, east, south, and west, the name Maxwell House is synonymous with the phrase, good to the last drop.
11: George and I will never win the happy marriage contest. Look at the time, 12.30. That woman will be here at 1 o'clock. Yeah, I know it. And George still isn't happy. When she sees him, the Galens are bound to get the award.
9: I sure wish we could think of some way to cheer him up.
11: Well, think, Meredith. Think. I'm thinking. What was George doing the last time you saw him really happy and enjoying himself?
9: Well, let me see. I guess he was watching that burlesque show he took me to.
11: (laughs) No, I'm afraid I couldn't do that. (laughs) The house is too cold. (laughs) What else does George like to do?
9: Well, he loves to discuss politics. He's always...
11: Politics, of course. A good, intelligent political discussion will make him happy. Excuse me, Meredith. George? Yes, dear? How do you feel about Coolidge?
6: (laughs)
8: Coolidge?
11: (laughs) Do you think he'll be elected president this year?
8: Uh, don't think he's got a chance.
11: Uh, uh, how about William Jennings Bryan?
8: Well, he's got as good a chance as Coolidge.
11: Uh-huh. <laughs> Just hope a Republican doesn't get in again. Time the Democrats had a chance.
8: Yes, they've really been pushed around. Mm-hmm.
11: Then... Uh, how do you feel about South America?
8: How do you feel about?
11: it? Uh, I say, leave it where it is. <laughs> <laughs>
8: Yeah, let's not move it. It's heavy.
11: <laughs> now, um, take inflation. How about that?
8: Inflation? Yes. Yeah. You tell
11: me. Huh. Well, I don't think we should keep it a secret just because we invented it first. Mm. <laughs> we should share it with all the United Nations.
10: <laughs> <laughs> That's the spirit.
11: Yeah. And now, now, let's take Congress. The meeting, you know. I
8: know, I know. Yeah. I, I got a meeting. Yeah.
11: Some people want a long Congress and some people want a short Congress. And you? Well, a lot of people are against the short Congress, but I say if Mr. LaGuardia wants to run, his size shouldn't keep him out.
8: (laughs) Fair enough. Mm -hmm. And then
11: uh, uh, take the poll tax. I'm against it. You
8: are?
6: Oh, yes. That's interesting.
11: We're all Americans. Why should people pay a special tax because they came from Poland? (laughs) (laughs) Good idea. Yes. Now, what shall I take next?
8: A powder, right out that door.
6: <laughs> this uh,
11: talk about politics hasn't made you happy? No. Why not?
8: I'm worried about Coolidge's chances.
11: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry.
8: Now, run no. along and let me brood about
11: it. Oh, yes, yes.
8: Oh, poor Cal.
6: <laughs>
8: well,
9: did it make him happy, Gracie? You no,
11: know, and I can't understand it. He hangs on Gabriel he does every word, and I'm much more attractive. Oh, hey, excuse me, Meredith Good day, Mrs. Byrne. Oh. Oh, hello, Mr. Postman
10: I detect a note of sadness in your voice And you're usually gay and carefree like me
11: Well, I have a problem My husband is unhappy and we're ended in the happy marriage contest
10: Oh, is there a happy marriage contest?
11: Yeah, didn't you and your wife enter?
6: Uh. <laughs>
10: oh
11: God, I guess your marriage would never win a prize.
10: Not unless I entered my wife in the golden gloves.
6: (laughs) Um,
11: Does she still strike you?
10: Mrs. Burns, 20 years ago, I asked for her hand, and she's been giving it to me ever since.
6: (laughs) Well,
11: into each life, some rain must fall.
10: Yes, but my wife shouldn't happen even in California. (laughs) I guess you and I are both married to Cloudburst.
11: Oh, no. George isn't that bad. He's just an occasional drip. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
10: compared to me, your husband should be as happy as a lark. Mm,
11: Say, that's an idea. Maybe if you tell George how miserable you are, he'll see how much reason he has to be happy.
10: Bring him on. I'll fill his little heart with joy. (laughs) And then my wife hit me with the electric iron, tied my hands and feet, and flung me down the basement where I lay for four days. Well, <laughs> oh, goodbye, Mr. Burns. Remember, keep smiling. <laughs> well, George, how do you feel now? Are you happy?
8: Happy? How can I be happy when that poor little man is so miserable?
11: But, dear. He,
8: he made me feel terrible. I'm going in to
6: dinner. <laughs>
11: out all over again and make him happy.
9: Yeah, and that woman will be here in 15 minutes. Yeah,
11: let's see now. I know how Clara Bagley made her husband happy recently, but I wouldn't have time for that. What did she do? She had a baby.
9: (laughs) (laughs) No, I guess that's impractical. It would be a lot easier to make George happy if he wasn't the worrying type.
11: Meredith, I believe you've got it. He'll be much happier if I do all the worrying for both of us. He sure ought to be. Well, I'll stop his worries right now. (laughs) George, what? From now on, I don't want you to do any worrying.
9: Well, fine.
11: I'll do it for both of us.
8: Good.
11: So, don't worry about the postman. Don't worry about your electric razor. Don't minute, worry
8: wait about. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Uh, what happened to my electric razor?
11: Oh, it got kind of clogged up when I peeled the carrots with it.
8: You <laughs> <laughs> peeled carrots with my electric razor—the I worry just got. About... <laughs> don't...
11: don't worry. From now on, I'm worrying about everything. The fender on the car too. You're on the car. Yeah, but I, I sort of ran into the rear end of Mr. Connor's milk truck. Oh, no. Yeah, but don't you worry about it. I'm handling all the worrying. Now you happy? No, I'm not happy. Still brooding about Coolidge, Yeah, about huh?
8: Coolish. Now, get
11: out of here.
6: <laughs> well,
11: Meredith, that... Oh, hello, Bill.
7: Hi, Gracie. I came back to see if you'd won the happy marriage contest. Well,
11: not yet, and we haven't a chance unless George cheers up.
7: Oh, the little man is still unhappy, Oh, huh? Bill,
11: you ought to see him. He doesn't look like himself.
7: And you're complaining?
6: <laughs>
11: what can I do? That woman will be here to observe us in five minutes.
7: Well, you just leave him to me, Gracie. I've got a letter here that ought to do the trick.
11: Oh, good, Bill. He's right in there in the den.
7: Hello, George, old man. Hello, Bill. <laughs> oh, come on, George. Cheer up.
11: Wait till you hear this letter
7: from the sponsor. Wait till you hear the nice thing he said about you. About me? Mm-hmm. From the sponsor? Yeah. Well, read it, Bill. What does he say? Well, I'll read some excerpts, huh? Oh, good. Now, get this. <clears throat> the Maxwell House coffee people are proud and happy to have as their star a man whose charm and talent are on a par with the quality of their product. Wow. Now, that really means something, because Maxwell House coffee is tops. I know.
8: Reach some more. It's
7: appetizing, rich, full-bodied, and mellow. Read uh, the letter. Reach some more. Maxwell House's coffee at its full-flavored best. Good to the last drop. Reach some more. That's why more people buy and enjoy Maxwell House than any other brand of coffee in the world. The letter, Bill. What else does the sponsor say? Well, now, get this closing. And it is our fervent hope that this talented and brilliant man will still be with us five, ten, or even twenty years from now. Boy. Because it has indeed been a pleasure to sponsor radio's brightest personality, Bill Goodwin
8: (laughs) Bill Goodwin Yes Let me see where it says that Right here
7: I thought you said the sponsor said something nice about me Well, I was coming to that, Joe P.S. Tell Gracie's husband we liked his Christmas card That's nice Wasn't that a nice thing for him to say? Aren't you thrilled?
8: I'm a mass of quivering goose flesh
7: (laughs) Well, then don't act so miserable Smile, be happy What have I got to be happy about? What have you got? Well, look at you You've got a... Well, you've got a... Boy, you've got a right to be miserable
11: (laughs) Bill, did you fix it? Is he any happier?
7: Well, I'm afraid not, Gracie We were going along fine Till the subject of George Burns came up Now we're both depressed I'm sorry (laughs) Wow
11: he was a big help. We've got two minutes to go. What can we do, Meredith? You know,
9: Gracie, I might be able to make George happy. Yeah, how? Well, I'm a musician, and music hath charms. It hath. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
9: I would say, sure. Suppose I take my flute in there and then play him a solo. Oh,
11: wonderful.
9: Shall I play him something by Chopin or something by Hooperdink?
11: <laughs> oh, Hooperdink, by all means. Man- was willing to live with that name must have been happy.
9: Chopin sounds awfully pretty on a flute.
11: No, play Humperdinck.
9: Okay, Gracie. Humperdinck it is. Uh, you wait right here. Well, what do you want?
6: Ouch! Oh, no. Merida. Merida, what
9: happened? I knew I should have played Chopin.
6: <laughs>
11: it's too late now. Here comes the woman up the walk. Well, maybe I can block this thing through if she doesn't see George. ha, oh, come in. Hello, Mrs. Uh, <laughs> Hello. Is uh, this your husband? Oh, no, no. My husband, my happy husband, is in bed. In bed? <laughs> yes, he's so happy he laughed himself sick. <laughs> oh do around here is just laugh, laugh, laugh. Well, let's have the award, huh? <laughs> can
2: I
8: have any peace in this house? Stop all this cackling.
2: Now, quiet. So, this is Laughing Boy. <laughs>
8: <laughs> Who's this old bat?
6: <laughs>
2: uh, doesn't he say the funniest things? <laughs> That's my happy husband. <laughs> yeah, he's a scream. Well... On behalf of my newspaper, here's the award for being the happiest couple in Hollywood. Are you you giving it to her? I've got to. But I I thought you'd give it to the Galens. I'm not going to chase them to Reno just for that. Goodbye.
7: Join us again next week when we'll all be back. George Burns, Gracie Allen, Meredith Wilson and his orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Goodwin.
11: Until next Thursday, then, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's number one brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Gracie,
8: I'm sorry I lost my temper.
11: I guess we really are the
8: happiest couple in Hollywood. Well, oh,
11: sure we are. And that's because you're the boss and I do whatever you say.
8: Oh, I'm not the boss. Oh,
11: yes, you are, dear. Oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, really, i George, I'm running this house, and when I say you're the boss, you're the boss.
8: I lost my head. Just call me bossy. Oh, that's
6: good. good. night.
7: Stay tuned to this station because Dinah Shore's Open House is coming on in just a second. Dinah's special guest tonight is Jack Carson. This is NBC,
6: the national broadcasting company.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Fibber McGee and Molly, followed by Lights Out. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Stay tuned for Ziggy and Stardust next on Zoomer Radio. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air.